Also, I want to remind us of this. That as we are here celebrating seven years as a local church, planted, that you are part of history. I want you to know that. Uh, As I've shared with you before, seven out of ten churches that are planted do not make it to their third anniversary. Seven out of ten. A lot of churches get planted. A lot of churches do not make it to this point. Out of those 30% that make it to their third anniversary, only half of those make it to their fifth anniversary. So for us to be here on our seventh anniversary, strong, stable, excited about what God's going to do in the future, we know who to give all the glory to, and that's to God. He is the one, absolutely. Absolutely. And we are thankful for all that he has done, and we do look forward to the next years ahead if the Lord tarries. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, this morning, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. And to borrow a title from a old movie, we're going back to the future today. We're going to talk a lot about history this morning from Mark chapter 13. Uh, Normally, I don't do this, but because our potluck Sundays, usually we can take a little bit more time because we roll from our service sort of having an ending prayer and going right into our potluck. So we, we stretch out our potluck services just a little bit longer. I'd like to take the opportunity this morning for you to follow along and for me to read the entire chapter of Mark chapter 13. Because I'll be going back just a little bit to refer to it, but I want us to get sort of the totality of what Jesus here is is revealing and what's happening here in Mark chapter 13. So please follow along with me as I read Mark chapter 13. Now, as Jesus was going out of the temple courts, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look at these tremendous stones and buildings. And Jesus said to them, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. All will be torn down. So while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to take place? Jesus began to say to them, Watch out that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise up in arms against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. You must watch out for yourselves. You will be handed over to councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. First, the gospel must be preached to all nations. And when they arrest you and hand you over for trial, do not worry about what to speak, but say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. 
Brother will hand over brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one on the roof must not come down or go inside to take anything out of his house. This one in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing their babies in those days. Pray that it may not be in winter. For in those days there will be suffering unlike anything that has happened from the beginning of creation that God created until now or ever will happen. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would be saved. But because of the elect whom he chose, he has cut them short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe him. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the elect. Be careful. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arriving in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send angels and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this parable from the fig tree. Whenever its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also you, when you see these things happening, know that he is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But as for that day or hour, no one knows it. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son except the Father. Watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. He left his house, put his slaves in charge, designing to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Stay alert then, because you do not know when the owner of the house will return, whether during evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or at dawn, or else he might find you asleep when he returns suddenly. What I say to you, I say to everyone, stay alert. Now, in the context, obviously, of what Jesus is saying here, it was all precipitated by a question of one of his disciples. Again, they were in Jerusalem. They were around the temple area. And at this time, this was the great Herod's temple. There was a magnificent structure. I mean, it just sort of took your breath away to see uh, how immense it was, how beautiful it was. And as they were going out of the temple environs, his, one of his disciples, we don't know who it was, says to him, Lord, look at these awesome buildings. And Jesus basically takes that opportunity to predict the fall of this temple and the fall of Jerusalem. And then the Bible says that he obviously, with his disciples, makes his way down the Kidron Valley and they ascend the Mount of Olives. And as they are on the Mount of Olives, sort of in the Garden of Gethsemane, they're able to look back down over that valley and onto Mount Zion, onto the Temple Mount. Any of you who've ever visited Israel, you know exactly where I'm talking about. 
And it's a beautiful sight to be able to sit up there on the Mount of Olives and literally look down at that Temple Mount. Obviously at that time of Herod's great temple. And Jesus takes this opportunity now to begin to speak to them about history and about the future. Now, when we come to a chapter like this, even for many followers of Jesus Christ, we can get so caught up in the details of it that we miss the big picture. And so today, for our uh, sake here today, I don't want us to get so into the trees of this passage, if you will, that we miss the the forest, if you will, the great principles that we see uh, Jesus is teaching here in this passage of Scripture. And the first one that I want to share with you this morning is this. History is his story. It is all under the guidance and the control and the supervision of Jesus Christ. The reason why Jesus can be so specific about what's going to happen is because he's the one in control of it. It is his plan that is being carried out. History is not open. It is not undetermined. It has very much been determined by God even before the foundation of the world. And that should bring comfort to those of us who know him and those of us who are following him and those of us who are placing our confidence in him. See, God is not looking down even at the mess the world is in now and wringing his hands up there in heaven and going, oh my goodness, what's, what have I done? And, and how am I going to fix this? And, and what's going to happen? No, God has had this all figured out from the very beginning. Even before the foundation of the world. He knew exactly what was going to happen and he had a plan. God is not a reactionary like we are as human beings. When something happens in the world or in our lives, we react to it. And many times we overcompensate, we overreact. God is not that way. God has set history to end in a certain way. God has predetermined a plan for this future and all will be carried out exactly as he said. Now, the great thing about this is that doesn't uh, deny us our free will. God is so great. He is so amazing. He is so awesome. He is so wise that God can still allow us as human beings our free will and our choices and yet still get history to land exactly where he predicted it would land. Think of it in this way. I use this illustration every once in a while. Think of it as being on a large cruise ship. And the cruise ship leaves a certain port and it's going to dock at another port. Now, while on that cruise ship, and thousands of people can be on that cruise ship at any one time, there are all kinds of different choices and activities and things that while you're on that ship, you and I could get involved with. All based on our free will. What we choose to do, what we want to do while on that ship. We still have our free will, but that ship is going to dock at that port at the time that was predetermined it was going to dock. And that's the way you and I as followers of Jesus Christ need to understand history and the future. 
It is under the supervision and control of God. And history is his story. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, listen to the word of God. The Bible says, God has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. Acts 17, verse 31. God has set a day. In other words, there's already a day that God has determined, I'm going to judge the world in righteousness. And that day will never change. And God says, I'm even going to tell you by whom it's going to be judged. By the one that I raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. All judgment has been committed into his hand. And God's word says, I have provided proof to everyone in the world because I raised him from the dead. I gave human beings the evidence. I gave them the proof. If they do not believe in Jesus Christ and who he is based upon the clear historical evidence of the resurrection, that's their choice. But it's very clear. And God has set a day. So we see in this passage, how can Jesus so clearly be able to lay out for his followers even 2000 years ago, exactly what's going to happen? How could he predict in 30 something AD that in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman emperor was going to march in with the Roman legions into Jerusalem and literally not only dismantle the city of Jerusalem, but just as Jesus said, they would literally pull the stones out of the temple. And as we know, even today, the only thing left from Herod's temple is that Western wall. Many of those stones in Herod's temple, they tell us were some of them hundreds of thousands of pounds each. Even larger than you see today in the Western or Wailing Wall. And yet Jesus said, they will all be torn down. How did he know that? Because he's God and history is his story. But we also see from this chapter today that history as we know it is going to end. At least as we understand space and time today. Notice again up in chapter 13, verse 7, Jesus says, you'll hear of of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. These things must must happen, but the end is still to come. In verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. He makes reference to an end. Then in verse 31, great verse, heaven and earth is going to pass away. There's going to come an end. Now, when he talks about heaven here, he's not talking about the abode of God. He's talking about the atmospheric heaven. And Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words never will. So there is a reference to an end. Keep your finger there in Mark chapter 13. If you have your Bibles and turn over with me to the book of 2 Peter, where Peter makes reference to this as well. Second Peter, while you're turning there to chapter three, that's why Abraham said, I am looking for a city 
whose architect and builder is God. I'm not... I'm not putting, you know, my roots too deep here on earth. Abraham said, I have understood and and come to acknowledge that I'm simply a foreigner. I'm, I'm simply a stranger that's passing through this earth because this earth and what we know of it and all that we know of it one day is going to end. How do we know that? Because God said it was. It's part of his plan because history is his story. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When it comes, the heavens will disappear with a horrific noise and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. Since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be conducting our lives in holiness and godliness while waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolved and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. That's why Jesus encourages his followers. Don't lay up treasure for yourself on earth. Don't invest your life in temporal earthly things because one day everything that you and I see here on earth right now, all the buildings, everything around us, one day isn't going to be here. There is going to come an end to life on earth as we know it today. But for those of us who believe in Jesus, And trust in what his word says. Then we also believe that when he destroys this heaven and this earth. He's making for us a new heaven and a new earth. That is going to be a perfect environment to live in for all of eternity. That is something to say amen about. Because history as we know it has an end to it. You ever think about that? Because I think one of the reasons why God includes prophetic things in the Bible, one of the main reasons why he gives us glimpses into the future, is because he wants what is going to happen one day affecting us right here and now and how we live our lives now. What we value, what we invest in, what we look at as precious and what we cherish now should be affected by the fact that history is going to come to an end one day as we know it. And everything on this earth is going to melt away. So you think about it, how sad is that for so many human beings who think that this earth is all that they are ever going to experience and so they pour themselves into accumulating all these material possessions and all these great buildings and all these great big, you know, fancy dancy things that one day isn't even going to be around. Long after we're still existing in heaven, all those things will just be melted away. Heaven, or excuse me, history as we know it, is going to end. But you'll also notice in chapter 13 that history is going to end, but we don't know when. History is going to end, but we don't know when. 
Again, I direct your attention to verse 32. But as for that day or hour, no one knows it. Can I stop right there? How many people down through history, Christians even, have been predicting when Jesus is going to come? Do you not read the Bible? No one knows it. I can remember back in 1988, some of you are old enough to remember this. There was a little booklet that came out that shook Christians. Again, clearly because they didn't know the word of God well enough. Because it was this little booklet written by this man, 88 reasons why Jesus will come in 1988. I know, but you don't... I was there. It was like upsetting to be like, oh my goodness, is this? I'm like, no one knows it. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, except the father. Now, what he's simply saying is in his human nature, and I, we don't have time to get into all this. Jesus is the most unique, obviously, person who ever has set foot on earth. He had two natures. He had a totally divine nature. He's 100% God. But he also had a a human nature. 100% human. And he's stating here that in his human nature, he did not know when that time was. Well, if the angels don't know, if he didn't know, how are we supposed to know? We don't. We will not know when it will end. In fact, one of the very last things that Jesus even says to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven, after his resurrection, is they're all gathered there. And one of the disciples says, Lord, is it now time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? And here's what Jesus says. One of the very last things he says before he goes back to heaven. He says, you are not permitted, Acts 1-7, you are not permitted to know the times or the periods that is in set by the Father's authority. Let me repeat that. You are not permitted to know the times or the periods that are set by the Father's authority. And then he goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. You will go into all the world, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And then the Bible says, he left the earth, and the disciples were standing there. One of the very last things he says is, you are not permitted to know the time. That's something that is only known by God. That's why, if you go back up to verse 23, it's a real key verse here in this chapter. When Jesus says, be careful, I have told you everything ahead of time, everything that we need to know. Obviously, as human beings and even as Christians, there's a lot of questions we have for God about things we want to know that he hasn't revealed. But what God's word tells us is this. Everything that you and I need to know on this side of what's going to happen, he's told us everything that we need need to know. And that's what we need to focus on. 
So often as Christians, especially when it comes to prophecy, we try to speculate about things that God has not clearly revealed. Why? Why are we wasting? There's so much in this book that we don't know because we're not focused on it. And let's start focusing on the things that he's clearly revealed instead of spending our time spinning our minds around the things that he hasn't clearly revealed. Because if he hasn't revealed it, there's obviously a very good reason for it. And he doesn't want us to know those things. But here's much of what he does want us to know. History is going to end, but we don't know when. History is also going to end with certain signs. You see that here beginning in verse 5 where he says, watch out, be aware that no one misleads or deceives you. There's going to be all kinds of deception and wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and all these things. Listen, all that Jesus is saying is, this is a world that is under strain. This is a world that is weighed down by sin and by the fall. What Jesus here is describing by all the signs of the times aren't what many Christians think they are. That we've thought for years that these signs that Jesus gives us somehow then can help us predict what clearly the Bible says we're never going to know when he's coming. No one does. But somehow we've taken it to be, well, he's given us all these signs so that we can, we can predict when he's coming. No, that's not the reason he gave us these signs. He's giving us these signs to show us this is what happens to a world that rejects God. This is what happens to a world that turns to unrighteousness. This is what happens to a world when God abandons humanity to its own unrighteousness and says, you want to live that way, live that way. I'll give you that choice. But then the world is going to end up in a mess. The world is going to end up broken. And the Bible even says that creation itself in the book of Romans chapter eight is groaning, waiting for it to be redeemed and remade because of the curse of sin. This is the reason for these signs that Jesus gives us. Yes, history is going to end in certain signs, but they are not to be used to try to pinpoint when he's coming. They're more to remind us that we are living in a world that has rejected God. And when kingdoms are fighting kingdoms and people are fighting and there's all this hatred and violence and all of these things, it is simply a reminder that, again, this is not our home. And fortunately, this is not what we have to look forward to for the rest of our existence eternally. But that this is what happens when humanity as a whole says no to God. Here's the other thing that this chapter teaches us. That history is going to end in the triumph of Jesus Christ. We've sung about that already today. And look again at verse 24. In those days... After that suffering, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and everyone will see the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, arriving in the clouds, here it is, with great power and glory. When he came the first time in Bethlehem, he laid aside his glory as the Son of God. 
When he comes the next time, he will never lay aside that glory again. And when he comes to the earth this time, he's coming with great power and great glory. And can I share something else with you that always excites me? Because I love to find places in the Bible about the future that you and I are in. So I want to take you to one of those. I want to take you to the book of Revelation chapter 19 for just a moment and show you the description of the second coming of Christ and that you and I are in the Bible whether you knew that or not. Revelation 19 beginning at verse 11. Then I saw heaven open and here came a white horse. The one riding it was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and goes to war. His eyes are like a fiery flame, and there are many diadem crowns on his head. He has a name written that no one except him knows. He is dressed in clothing dipped in blood, and he is called the Word of God. The armies that are in heaven, dressed in white, clean, fine linen, were following him on white horses. That's us. That's you and me. Verse 14, Revelation 19. We are part of those armies of heaven who will leave heaven and come back to earth. You see, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Where he comes in the clouds, he never sets foot on the earth, and he receives all of those believers up to heaven. Then begins the seven-year tribulation period on earth where he turns his attention, obviously, away from the church because the church now is in heaven. And he turns his attention for one more seven-year period back to the nation of Israel, which is what Daniel's 70th week prophecy is all about in the book of Daniel. That there's still a seven-year period outstanding for God to come back and finish his work in the nation of Israel. And that's what Jesus is talking about in in Mark 13 when he talks about during that time there will be suffering on earth unlike any other time in human history and ever will be. It's during that seven year period of time which you and I will not be a part of if we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior. We will not be here on earth to experience all of that. But many that we might know will be. But the Bible teaches us that at the end of that seven-year period, as it comes to a close, there's going to be this great battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And as the battle commences, the Bible says this is what's going to happen. That before the battle even really begins, it's really no battle at all, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and basically take over at that point. And guess who's going to come from heaven with him? You and I are. We are in verse 14 of Revelation 19. And then he says, From his mouth extends a sharp sword so that with it he can strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He stomps the winepress of the furious wrath of God, the all-powerful. He has a name written on his clothing and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Which is why in Revelation eleven fifteen the Bible says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. 
probably sounds familiar because it's part of Handel's Messiah that is sung at Christmas time. He will reign forever and ever. History will end with the triumph of Jesus Christ. And as we shared a couple weeks ago, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but that's pretty encouraging to me. Especially as you look out at the world today. Well, the last point, but maybe the most practical for you and I today. History's end means that we should be ready for it. If, if what we know, if time and space as we know it one day and all that we know and all that we see is going to end, then Jesus here in Mark 13 over and over and over again is saying to his followers, are you ready for it? You don't know when it's going to happen. So that means we should be ready for it all the time. Every day we wake up, we should be living as if this could be my last day on planet Earth. Every Sunday I come, I think to myself as I'm out there praying, getting ready to come in, this could be the last message I ever give on Earth as a pastor. This might be the last time we as the Oasis Church, after spending or after celebrating seven years... This may be the last time we ever gather together to worship the Lord together. We don't know when he's coming. No one does, but we should always be ready for it. So notice over and over again the repetition of what Jesus says to his followers. I want to first begin with the phrase, watch out, which begins in verse 5. Jesus began to say to them, watch out. It means be aware, Christian. Be aware of what's going on and that history is his story. Be perceptive. Be discerning is what the Greek word means here. And he uses it four times in this chapter. In fact, over in verse 23... When the Net Bible translates it, be careful, it's actually the same Greek word. Be aware, be discerning, be perceptive, because I've told you everything you need to know ahead of time. He also says it down in verse 33. Watch out, be aware, be perceptive, be discerning. And then I missed one up in verse nine. You must watch out for yourselves. So over and over again in this chapter on the future and on history, Jesus is saying to his followers, you got to be aware. You got to, you got to be perceptive. You got to be a discerning people and know what's going on and where history is headed and what God's plans are. But he also says something else over and over again. And that starts in verse 33. When he says, after watch out, stay alert. And notice he repeats this three times at the end. In verse 35, stay alert. And the very last words he says of this chapter that's recorded in verse 37, stay alert. You know the best way to 
say in the English what that means in the Greek language? Wake up. Jesus is saying to his people, Wake up, church! I'm coming! And you don't know when I'm coming, so get awake! Get awake, Christian! Wake up! And let's be busy doing what God has called us to do. This is the message of Jesus to his church before he comes. He wants his people to be fully awake and engaged. And as I thought of that, I couldn't help but think of this passage of scripture that I'd like to leave with you today. I'd like you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to begin in verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Again, another passage talking to us about the future and about being part of the eternal kingdom of God. Paul says to the Corinthians, Now this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. By the way, I think I've shared this before. That would be a great thing to have over the nursery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be... Okay, forget it. Yeah. All right, I got to stop the whole humor thing. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now, when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now Paul says, based on all that, on all that we know is going to happen to us because we believe and trust in the word of God and what he predicts for us in the future, notice what should be our response in verse 58. So then, dear, beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, do not be moved, always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Notice that the scripture does not exhort us as Christians that based upon the fact that we know history is his story and history is going to end and we don't know when, but we know it's going to end to the triumph of Jesus. The, the scriptures don't exhort us to just go out and, and cross our legs and sit on some mountaintop somewhere waiting for Jesus to come back and just hum a few tunes and sing a few hymns and wait for him to come. No, that's not what scripture tells us to do. As Jesus said, scripture tells us as a church and us as Christians to wake up and get busy doing the work of the Lord. That's what scripture exhorts us to do. The words in verse 58, be firm, literally mean to be solid. Be a solid Christian. In the Greek language, it talks about those who are securely positioned. Meaning, we're basing our life and living our life on the rock of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be solid or firm. And then he says, do not be moved. That means to be settled. 
So many Christians are living an unsettled life. And Jesus, through His Word, is saying, Be solid. Be settled in Me. And then He says, Always, at all times, be outstanding in the work of the Lord. The word outstanding means to go above and beyond. It means to excel or to exceed. It, it doesn't mean that, well, uh, I'm going to look around. Well, they're not doing very much for the Lord, so I guess I won't either. Or because everybody else really isn't fully engaged and fully awake, I, I guess I'll just slack off too. No, it means to superabound in the work of the Lord. That's what it means. That's what Jesus wants to see his people doing when he returns. Not being lazy, not being lethargic, not being complacent, not being fearful, but trusting and being solid, securely positioned on Him, settled in Him, and superabounding in the work that He's called us to do. And that's what we're about here at the Oasis. We believe that God has given us a work to do as a church, and that's what we want to be focused on now and in the days ahead. And that's what God's calling on each of us to do. Find the work and the calling and the ministry and the service that God has called us to do, and let's superabound in it. Let's be engaged. Let's excel. Let's exceed. Let's go above and beyond. Because notice, he says, all that work that you do for God, It will never be in vain. It means it will never be a waste of our time. Never. It will never be worthless. It will never be empty. It will never be meaningless. Anything that you and I do for the Lord, anything that this church does in the work of the Lord will never be a waste of time. Of time. There is so much wasted time by people on this earth today. So many things that even as I sometimes I go, wow, those people have too much time on their hands because they're doing that. And I think to myself, oh, as Christians, so much wasted time. And yet he's saying, when you and I do the work of the Lord, It will never be a waste of time. A million years from now, 10 million years from now, when you and I are in heaven, none of us are going to say, oh, I wish I would have invested more in me and less in Jesus. I wish I would have invested less in the kingdom of God and less in eternity. And I wish I would have invested more in earthly temporal things. None of us are ever going to say that. We're probably going to say just the opposite. Man, if I had my life to live over again, I'd have given everything for God. I'd have invested fully. I would have been fully engaged. I would have been all in with God. I would have superabounded in the work of the Lord. Because I know one day, when history ends as we know it, it is going to end in the triumph of Jesus. And because you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you believe in Jesus, his triumph becomes our triumph. And one day we're going to share in that glory that he so graciously is going to share with us. And everything that we've done for him, none of it, he promises us, will ever be meaningless, ever be worthless, ever be empty.
ever be a waste of our time. Folks, may we dedicate ourselves to the work that the Lord is giving us opportunity to get involved with. What a great message for us here on our seventh anniversary. A lot's been done, but a lot more needs to be done before Jesus comes. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we have been reminded that history is is your story. You're in control. You're guiding it. You're supervising it. It's all going to end exactly as you predict. And God, if that's true, and we believe that it is, then God, that should change the way we live our lives here and now. Because Lord, we're not living for earthly things. Because we believe that everything on earth is going to melt away one day. Nothing on this earth that we know right now, materially, physically, is going to last. It's all going to be burned up. Only those things that are eternal, those are the things that's going to last. So God, I pray today as a church, as we do celebrate your faithfulness over seven years to us, and as we look to the future, God, we would not get complacent. We would not become lazy or lethargic, even though we live in a world that has turned their back on you and we're suffering the consequences for it. God, may we as your people rise above it and realize that you've called us to live on the earth at this time and that you call us, Lord, to your work, to be busy doing the master's business. To be a solid Christian, to be a solid church, to be a settled Christian and be a settled church. Super abounding in the work that you've called us to. Oh God, would you call out your people today? Not only here at the Oasis, but all over this land and all over the world. Would we as your people and we as your church, would we wake up? Would we realize, Lord, the limited time that we have on this earth to be an influence and make an impact and let's be all in with you and in your kingdom. Wake us up, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.